Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. When it comes to teaching kids how to ride bicycles today, parents have it easy. I, I don't know who invented the Strider, but I sure wish it was around when my kids were little. And for those of you that don't know what Striders are, they're basically bicycles without pedals. It's a balance bike. That's right. So, so the child straddles it and, and, you know, they run their feet along and the wheels roll. And every now and again, they pick up their, their legs and they kind of get their balance. And it's a great thing. And, you, and they, they do it at their own pace. Uh, you know, when, when, when my kids were learning to ride a bicycle, I used the towel method. So I, I got a beach towel and I wrap it around their waist. And then I would, and then I would hold it. And I would run alongside them uh, as, as they were learning how to balance. And when I thought they had, it, had, it, had a, a, a good handle on it, I'd let go of one end of the towel and they would ride away. It worked. It worked. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about uh, uh, it's, there's, a great, there's a great sense of freedom for a child when they move from, uh, from riding a tricycle to a, to a bicycle. I mean, it's just incredible. And, uh, and to try, just try, once uh, a child has learned how to ride a bicycle, to take that bicycle away and then say, no, 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 you can only now ride your tricycle. They're not, they're not going to, they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. So I'm thinking about that as I'm working my way through the book of uh, Hebrews with you, and, uh, and I recognize that the, the movement from the old covenant to the new covenant is, is similar. I mean, the old covenant had its purpose, and it had its forms, uh, and, and it, but when you move to that new covenant, there's a, there's a new freedom, uh, that is that is that is given to the uh, the child of God, unlike anything they've experienced uh, previously, and to and to go back to that would be taking a step backwards. And I'm thinking to myself, it would sort of be like moving from a bicycle back to a tricycle, and yet. Uh, the author of Hebrews is addressing people who are thinking about doing just that, going, going backwards in their relationship with God. This, this new freedom that we have in Christ and through this new covenant that has been given to us, uh, back to an old method that, was, uh, that had severe limitations uh, with regard to their own spiritual development. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to the uh, 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. We're going to finish this up. Yay! The 10th chapter. And next week is, next week's a glorious uh, week. The 11th chapter. If you've never read the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and I hope all of you have, I would encourage you to go home and read that uh, uh, because it's just uh, uh, hugely encouraging. But uh, as we're moving forward, the, the author of Hebrews so wants to impress 
upon the readers and the hearers of this book, how far superior Jesus is to the angels, to Moses, uh, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the high priests of old who had to repeatedly offer up this sacrifice, that through Jesus Christ, that sacrifice has been offered up once for all. It is finished. He sat down after he had secured our redemption uh, and sits at the right hand of God where he holds all things together through the power of his word. And through Jesus Christ, we know that we have forgiveness. We know that we have the redemption that allows us to enter into the presence of God with confidence, boldly, knowing that the way has been made clear and that we enter through that veil into the very presence of God. And God hears uh, our prayers and, and through the power of the Holy Spirit is in the process of transforming our lives into the image of Jesus Christ. And to walk away from that, to walk away from that and to go back to a system that, that is <clears throat> the, the, <clears throat> the Old Testament covenant was very, very conditional and we need to be mindful of that as we, as we finish up this 10th chapter. It was very, very conditional from the very beginning. God said, if you do this, I will do that. And so the relationship was very conditional upon the, the nation of Israel conforming to, to, the, to the laws and the covenant that God would set forth for them. Now, they, they entered into that voluntarily. If you read the 19th chapter of Exodus, as, as, as Moses brings the nation of Israel out of Egypt, uh, basically God says, you're free to go. I brought you out because I love you. If you want to stay and be my people, I will be your God. I will make of you a nation of priests. And I think we'll do some cool things together. Uh, and they said, we're in. We're in. And that's when they get the law. And the law was very conditional. If you do this... I will do that. If you fail to do that, I'm going to take a step back. And so we see that history of, of, uh, of the Jews and their relationship with God, where, where, where when they're up on top of the mountain, they're thanking God, but pretty soon life gets a little too easy, and they slide back down into the muck and the mire until they call out to God and say, help us, and God does Evidence of God's grace over and over again. He brings them back up, they slide back down. He brings them back up, they slide back down. This cycle, as Pastor John again talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's like Groundhog Day. Nothing changes. And we all know that if nothing changes, nothing changes. I know it sounds pretty profound. Uh, but it's true. It is so true. Uh, and so now something has changed. And what has changed is Jesus Christ. Who, who, who comes uh, fully God, fully, fully man, shows us the face of God. If you have seen me, he says, you have seen the Father. He shows us and teaches us how to live with one another according to that, 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 that moral foundation that God gives to us. But then he punctuates it with grace. He punctuates it with grace. And then he gives the ultimate. We, we celebrate Memorial Day uh, uh, tomorrow and remember those that gave their lives. Let us not forget the one who gave his life for us to change everything. He dies on the cross offering himself as that perfect sacrifice once for all. But it doesn't stop there. 
And when he dies, his last will and testament goes into effect. But then he raises from the dead. And now he is our advocate to interpret and to advocate on our behalf the new covenant that he has given to us. So that in the court of, of, of God's ultimate judgment, the word is passed down not guilty with regard to you and me. We are not guilty because of what Jesus has done. And now he rules and reigns in heaven uh, until that day when he returns. And that will be a great and terrible day. Great for those who long for his appearing. Terrible for those who have turned away. And to, and to, and to think that the, 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 it was tough. And they had gone through some difficult uh, trials and tribulations. And things are starting to fall apart again. And the social pressures were surrounding them. Uh, and so this group of Jewish background believers are thinking, you know, maybe I need to go back to the tricycle. And, and the author is saying, no, no, you don't. Think, think deeply about what you are about to do or what you are being tempted to do. And then that's where we pick up the narrative uh, in the 26th verse of the 10th chapter. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only the fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy the, as an unholy thing, the blood and the covenant that was sacrificed for him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions so do not throw away your confidence it will be richly rewarded you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God you will receive what he has promised for in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay but my righteous one will live by faith if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. Stand firm is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Stand firm. Now, this, this passage has caused great uh, uh, consternation 
for the church down through the ages. Uh, some have suggested far more than probably what the author ever thought or intended. I mean, you read these opening verses and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, if we, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice is left for sin. But only a fearful expectation of the judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. You know that, that there was a time in the, uh, in the, in, in the church history where, where people, they saw this and says, oh my gosh, what you're telling me is that if I commit uh, a sin after coming to Christ post being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that I'm out, I'm toast. And, and so people would actually wait until the last possible minute. Okay, I'm, you know what? I'm about ready to shuffle off this mortal coil. I'm lying in bed. I can't do myself or anybody else any more harm. Call in the priest. Now's the time I'm going to be baptized. And, and only then would they be baptized because they, they felt pretty confident that, you know, that with only being uh, days or moments uh, or maybe hours away from death, that they could safely be baptized and that they could hold it together until they breathed their last. Oh, my gosh. Is, is that what's going on here? I mean, you know, you, you, and this is where it is so important for us uh, uh, to, to take a step back and look at the whole counsel of God. We can't take individual passages of Scripture and isolate them and say, this is what this means. Oh, my gosh. You know, just, just take this at face value. If we, if we have sinned after we have received the knowledge, then we're toast. But you know what? In, uh, in 1 John, it, it, we're told that anybody says that they are without sin, then the truth is not in them. You remember that the declaration of, of not guilty is a, is a legal and a forensic pronouncement of God. When God says that we are not guilty, he doesn't say that we are sinless. We have been redeemed through Christ. And now we are in that process of, of being restored so that day by day, hopefully, we sin less than we did before because we are in that process of transformation. What the author of Hebrews here, most scholars have said that what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that people who have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and they have walked away from that faith and said, I hear, I hear it, I understand it, but I'm going to go over here and I'm going to live a life and a lifestyle that is totally contrary to what God would have us to do. Uh, and so that kind of deliberate shift is what the author is talking about here. And certainly those, uh, there are those who have heard the gospel and have said, okay, I understand it, I don't want it, and they've walked away. And, and, and in, the, in the Old Covenant, again, remembering that it was an if-then conditional covenant, there was, there was no forgiveness for willful, intentional sin. And you were counted guilty by the testimony of two or three. That was it. That's all it took. One person could not uh, make a charge against you. Because they thought, well, you know, only one person did it. That if somebody was vindictive and just, 
you know, called out something, like, a lot like we see going on today. All you have to do is accuse somebody of something today, and pfft, they're, they're done, they're toast. In, in, the, in the Old Testament, that, no, it needed to be at least two. Three would be better, because they figured that that would be more truthful. But that was it. Once it was, once you were, it was, there was, you were guilty, you were, you were taken out. Uh, and that was it. There was no mercy. For someone that walks away from this incredible gift that God offers, you know, who, why would you do that? And these are people that are thinking about doing that. Why, why, would, why would you think of doing that? Why, and I know it's anachronistic. Don't, don't anybody send me an email saying, Pastor, they didn't have bicycles in the, in the Old Testament. I know. Uh, but metaphorically speaking, why would you give up your bicycle to go back to a tricycle? Why, why would you do that? Hold firm. Hold firm. Yeah, there are people who have done that, but uh, they're going to pay a price for it. How much more severely do you think a person deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Think about that for a minute. What is the author saying there? That's a, that's a wound of love. Why is it that those we love are the ones that can hurt us most deeply? And that's what the author here is referring to. Those that trample uh, uh, underfoot the Son of God who said, basically, I- I'm here to lay out my life for you. And, 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 and this is what you do? You, you walk away from that? Or who, who has treated as unholy a thing, the blood of the covenant that is sacrificed for him. A, f- a failure to see the cross for what it really is. And that, and that act of self-sacrifice. Or, or, or to insult the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin and then serve as God's agency to transform our lives. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We all deal with authority structures in our lives. Some of those structures are external and some of those structures are internal. And you, you, you might want to just jot some of this down, because this, uh, this was really helpful for me uh, to, to, to think about this week, and I'm, I'm hoping that it'll be helpful for you as well. Uh, our authority structures are both internal and external. But those authority structures are also of divine origin and human origin. And we struggle with understanding those authority structures in our lives and creating priorities for those structures. And we will live our lives based on the priorities that we give to the authorities in our lives. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, 
I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Don't you just, just, what are you talking about? Help me to unpack that a little bit. I think that when when we begin to wrap our minds around the authority structures in our lives, both external and internal, we can begin to make sense out of that statement and help someone who says that understand what they're saying. When you think about the uh, uh, external authorities in our lives, uh, one of those external authorities is going to be divine and one of them is going to be of human origin. The external authority that we have that is divine is the Word of God. This is, this is, this is it. And it is important for, it's important for me to have an external authority in my life. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that when we start talking about the internal authorities that we deal with. But you have external authorities. The, the one of, of divine origin is the Word of God. And the one of human origin, what, what do you think are the human uh, authorities that are external to us uh, that we deal with on a regular basis? Parents. Yeah, parents, parents, governors. governors, that's right, the state, absolutely. Anybody else? Teachers, Teachers absolutely. Bosses, Bosses that's right. Uh, the law is an, is an external authority in our lives. Culture is an external authority in our lives. We are impacted by our culture. And if you ever doubt that, just remember that advertising is a multi-billion dollar a year industry. So we have have external authorities. We have the Word of God, and we have all that other stuff. Now, if you're going to... And you're going to need to prioritize this. Which one is going to have a higher priority in your life? And, and each one of us need to make that determination for ourselves. So now let's talk about the internal uh, authorities in our lives. And again, there's two. One is divine and one is of human origin. The divine internal authority is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that is at work within us. The Holy Spirit that keeps us from lying to ourselves. In that moment of angst or angst, however you want to pronounce the word, uh, when you're just sitting there in solitude and you're being absolutely honest and truthful with yourself, that's where the Holy Spirit breaks in and says whatever the Holy Spirit needs to say to you. So that's, that's, the, that's the divine uh, internal authority. What do you think the human internal authority is? Self. My own conscience, my own feelings. And today, more and more, we are being encouraged to give preeminence to our own feelings. If it feels good, do it. Uh, And that's the source of, of most of relativism today. Well, that may be true for you, but it's not for me. When anybody when anybody says that to you. Just ask them, just ask them very kindly if you can borrow their wallet and then rifle through and pull the cash out and hand it back. And when they ask what you're doing, you simply say, well, this is my truth. And if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. But in my world, my truth says that what's yours is actually mine. 
Of course, they're, they're, nobody's going to stand and, and do that. What they mean is that, well, it's true for you, but not for me, as long as it doesn't inconvenience me or, or, or challenge what I hold near and dear or how I feel in my heart. You know, feelings, feelings are wonderful. I, I, I love the fact that I am an emotional being and that I can love and, and that, I can, that I can be joyful. I, I, uh, you know, I don't like to be sad, but sometimes I'm sad and I try to get in touch with all those feelings. Do you remember the movie Steel Magnolias? Yeah, there's a wonderful line in there. Uh, I, I think it was Dolly Parton who said that uh, laughter through tears was her favorite emotion. And I just thought, okay, that's worth watching the movie just for that one line. So feelings are not bad. We were created with feelings, but feelings need a master. And, 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 and that's what this is for, that thing between our ears. Feelings make great servants, but lousy masters. If we always acted on our feelings, we'd be in deep trouble. And Jeremiah tells us that the heart is exceedingly wicked. Who can understand it? And the psalmist, the psalmist asks and prays, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Feelings can't be trusted. And yet there are so many people who are living their lives through their feelings. So now let's look at this again. You've got external authorities the Word of God, and uh, other authorities that are out there, parents, bosses, teachers, uh, culture, all that kind of stuff, and they're actively in, in, involved in our lives. The internal authorities, the divine one being the Holy Spirit and the human one being our own spirit, and then we've got to prioritize those. Which, which are going to have the priority in your life? And, and, and for me, the person who says, well, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, uh, uh, is putting that internal authority of their own conscience at the top of the list. That's what's most important for them, and everything else falls beneath that. And maybe the Word of God is there, maybe not. Probably with that person, the external authority is, is, that's going to be a higher priority is probably going to be culture. Because somebody like that wants to go along to get along. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to cause any troubles. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be unliked. I, I just want to, I just want to, I want everybody to like me. I, I want to get those little thumbs up on my Facebook page. And I want to know that I get a lot of likes when I post something, especially a picture. And I don't want any frowny faces on there. Uh, uh, and so I'm, I'm allowing the external authorities to impact my internal authority, which is my own conscience. And so those two are battling it out. And, 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 and perhaps there is a knowledge uh, that there is good and evil in the world, and, and basically I'm a good person, so I'm okay as long as I can find somebody else that I can point to and say, well, I'm better than you, so if, if I stand before God, I'm going to say, don't look at me, look at that person over there. But you can see how prioritizing those uh, authority structures in our lives can be important for us and why we need the external authority of God's Word. Uh, I, I heard one person ask the question. He says, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm spiritual, but 
but not religious, to ask the question, is there an authoritative text in your life? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, is there, is there something that is external to you to which you uh, acknowledge as a guide? I mean, it might be the Constitution. It might be the law of the land, which is very fickle because it, you know, uh, uh, laws follow culture. We've seen that over and over. So is there an authoritative text in your life? And I say to people, yes, the authoritative text in my life is the Bible because the Bible shows me who I really am. It is that mirror that I look up and I read and I go, rats. Oh, I don't like that. And it was, I think it was Mark Twain who said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I, that I don't understand that give me trouble. It's the parts that I understand and just don't want to do. But you see, you've got to have something external in your life that tells you when you are off course or you will drift. And so for me, I want to say that my top external authority is the Word of God. Now, I recognize the other authorities in my life. I would be a fool not to, including culture. But I'm going to place culture secondary to God's Word in my life. And the same thing when it comes to internal the internal authorities. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are now the temple of God, the presence of God that dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. And if I don't acknowledge that or make space for that or seek to address it, then I'm shortchanging myself and allowing my own conscience to supersede. Now, I'm, I, I'm, I'm impacted by my kind. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's either or. I'm saying it's both and. It's all and above. All four of those authority structures are at work in our lives every day of our lives. The question is, where do we set up our priorities? And when we set up our external and internal priorities according to the Word of God, Life works, and we flourish. When we fail, more often than not, it's because we have messed up our priorities. And that's where the author goes on. And this is a great little passage here. That's where the author goes on to say, remember, remember those earlier days when you received the light, when you stood your ground in the great contest in the the face of suffering, And they had gone through that, probably uh, 49 A.D., when all the Jews were kicked out of Rome and uh, and all their property was confiscated. And and the the Jews were kicked out because there was so much bickering going on between them. And others have said that the bickering that was going on between them was over the person of Jesus Christ. Who is authority in your life? So he wants them to remember, you've gone through hard times before. And there will be hard times to come. But stand firm, stand firm. And then he quotes my favorite favorite prophet from the Old Testament. He who is coming, he says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what what he has promised for in just a very little while. And then he quotes the prophet Habakkuk. He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. 
And that was a theme that was picked up by Paul in the book of Romans. It was a theme that was picked up by Martin Luther in the Reformation. And it's a theme that we need to pick up on as well, that we live by faith, not by sight. Habakkuk was going crazy. The government was failing. People were cheating each other left and right. The society was falling apart. He had already witnessed the northern kingdom fall. And now the southern kingdom is about to fall. And he's just crying out to God saying, What are you doing? God, why do you allow me to look on all this injustice? Where are you? And God responds and he says, Habakkuk, I'm doing something that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. And then he goes on to describe the Babylonians and how he's going to raise up the Babylonians that are going to basically decimate the southern kingdom. So, well, where's the fun in that? But you'll remember right before that happened, Jeremiah bought property. Probably got out a pretty good deal too. I have, a, I have a friend here in Coronado that, that passed away now. Uh, but uh, on, on, December, uh, on December 8th, 1941, her grandfather bought a full-size parcel on the 800 block of B Avenue for $10. Because the person that owned it was convinced that the West Coast was going to be invaded following uh, Pearl Harbor and just wanted to get out while he could. Uh, And her grandfather wisely bought it. Jeremiah bought property right before Babylon fell, or right before the southern kingdom fell to Babylon because he knew God's faithfulness and that that they would be back and God would restore them. That the righteous need to live by sight, by faith, not by sight. There's a sense that what he's saying here is that we need to remember the end. We need to remember the end. And the end always ends with God being faithful. God who promised is true and he will not delay. What does that mean for us 2,000 years after the resurrection? Well, for God, uh, 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 one day is as if a 1,000 years. We cannot lose hope. We cannot lose faith. We must stand firm in the face of adversity. And you know what? I'm convinced that we've got some days of adversity ahead of us as believers. But I am not discouraged. I am not fearful. You know what I am? Grieved. I'm grieved at what I see. But don't mistake grieving for fearfulness. God is faithful and we are called to stand firm we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed but those who believe and are being saved that's the encouragement that the author of hebrews wants us to have as we move into the 11th chapter which is all about the heroes of the faith and i'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about these heroes next week And some of the things that they went through and some of the things that they endured, I hope and pray that we never even come close to experiencing. But the charge and the challenge for us is to stand firm in the face of persecution because to release our faith and walk away to anything else would be like giving up the bicycle for a tricycle. And I see no percentage in doing that. Live by faith, not by sight, 
He who promised is true, and it will come to pass. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. When Martin Luther gave his life to the Lord and, and, and basically he became a monk, uh, he did so out of fear. And uh, he lived a miserable, miserable life uh, in response to the fear in his life that actually did permanent damage to his, to his health. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of his superiors said, Martin, that the only thing that's going to help you is for you to go and study Scripture. And, and, and Martin said, no, I, can't, I, can't, I, I, I can't do that. I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm not worthy of that. Uh, and, and he says, no, you, you will, you'll do this. You will be obedient uh, to the vows that you have taken, and you will go to the university, and you will, you will become a doctor of theology. So uh, uh, against his own inner conscience, he went and studied the Word of God. And as he studied the Word of God, he began to come and understand the love and the mercy of God uh, at, at, a, at a whole new level. And all of a sudden, he found his external authorities uh, competing against one another because one of those external authorities is the church. And so he began to try to reform the church from within. And they brought him up on heresy charges, brought all his books into a room, and they said, you wrote these. He says, I did. And they said, recant, or we're going to burn you at the stake. And he said, I can't. He says, because human authorities have been known to err. And so my conscience is held captive to the word of God. And to go against the conscience is an unhealthy thing. So understanding the, the, the authority structures in our lives and prioritizing them is so important because we are always going to deal with those four authority structures. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, the culture around us, and our own conscience. Establish the priorities and lean in and stand firm. And we will find ourselves not only being transformed by the Holy Spirit, but living in the kingdom of God.